Oh, good morning, everybody. Boys, it's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Alex Crom, and I am the campus pastor over at our Torrance location. Uh, so great to see everybody's faces here at Manhattan Beach, and especially glad to be connected now with our Torrance campus. Uh, I just love being with our Torrance people. So glad that we're all together for this part of the service. Uh, if we've never met, I, I get to speak maybe every three or four weeks, and so this is my first chance in 2024. So if you've just started since the new year, I'm a new face, but boy, I hope to get to know you guys well uh, over the these sporadic times that I'm able to speak. It's such a humbling experience to be able to share this platform with Jason and our other teaching pastors uh, and be able to share God's word. Uh, I'm so excited for the message we get to dive into today. Before we get there, though, let me, I know Matt here and Emily over at, uh, at Torrance already have talked about the business meeting next week. We're all so pumped about the business meeting, right? I can feel it in the room, uh, how excited everybody is. But really, honestly, it, it's such a, it's such a, it's such an important honor for those of you who are members, for us to get together and do good work together to make sure uh, that we continue in ministry well. We have a list of people who want to become members and we need to vote in the team that's gonna allow them to become members. I can't wait to release them into membership and the, the ownership that implies. And then of course, there's that issue of we, we wanna support our missionaries well and we're hitting a, a tension point there where we need to sell some property in order to really support our missionaries with our resources. And and I wanna vote on that and release those resources. And so please, it would not offend me at all during this message if you're like, I am gonna register for the meeting and you pulled out your phone only for that reason or the Bible, okay? Just, just kidding, you do what you need to do. Um, hey, let me jump now into the message. Uh, we are in this series, Right Side Up, where we've been exploring what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a section in the book of Matthew in the Bible where it's a collection of Jesus's uh, teachings all into one sermon. And uh, in this message, he talks about how we can relate to each other differently than we do, how we can relate to ourselves and also especially to God. Now what's interesting is many of his perspectives on life are vastly different than the way we normally live life. In fact, to us, they might seem upside down in his teaching, but of course the twist is that it's not Jesus who is living life upside down, it's not his perspective that's upside down, it's us that live normally upside down, and Jesus wants to turn us right side up. He wants us to take his teaching seriously, invites us into a brand new perspective, a right side up perspective on the world. Uh, with that theme, uh, it, I get to share with you one of my favorite scientific studies that I ever happened upon in some research I was doing. Uh, there was a fascinating study done in the 1950s by an Austrian professor at the University of Innsbruck. His name was this. His name was Theodor Erisman. Uh, professor Erisman at the University of Innsbruck did a lot of studies on human perception and adaptability. Specifically, he did this wacky test where he invented a new, for the time, uh, sort of goggles or glasses. Here's his assistant wearing those goggles, glasses, and here's what they did. It blocked out all vision except for a small cone of sight, and that sight was flipped entirely upside down. So the world was perceived literally upside down. He wanted to study if humans could get used to operating with the world upside down. 
His poor assistant, this guy you see in front of you, uh, wore them now different lengths of time, different assistants. This guy wore it for 124 days once uh, and lived in the upside world, upside down world. Let me show you a little bit of the footage from this study. Uh, this is the guy, again, his assistant, and this is Professor Erisman with him. You can see he had put a chair right in front of the poor guy, can't see anything, and yet he topples over that. Here's him trying, they just sent him out in the busy streets of Innsbruck. In this one, he's supposed to catch that balloon. Nope, balloon gone forever. I'm sure that girl wasn't too happy with that. But here is the successful outcome of the study. That guy riding his bike through the streets of Innsbruck. And here's why it was successful. It turns out that, especially for that guy who wore it for a long period of time, it after about nine or 10 days, the human brain did something incredible. His brain reflipped the picture to effectively be right side up. His brain figured out that his perception and the reality didn't match and allowed him to live right side up again. That's how adaptable our minds are as human beings. In fact, their success, well, their greatest success wasn't even that bike ride. Later, they don't have footage of it, though. They put him on a motorcycle <laughs> and sped him through the city of Innsbruck. I think that is risky and wonderful. I'm so glad for good old Professor Erisman and his crew uh, all made it out safe, which is great. Here's the most fascinating part, though. That guy, his assistant, wore those things for 124 days. His brain reoriented the entire world to be right side up, but... When the experiment was over and he took the goggles off, then the world looked upside down for him. In his normal vision, he had been so well trained, he then perceived that world as upside down. Now, thankfully, that was only for a few hours before his brain again figured it out and reoriented his vision. I, I tell you that story because it was a testament to human adaptability. We are capable of taking on the challenge of perceiving a completely flipped view of the world. Now, I want to take that scientific result into, well, metaphorically, into the spiritual realm. If we can do that, if our brains are smart enough to do that with our sight, God wants to give us the strength to do that with how we live our, not just our spiritual lives, but our entire lives, to live the right side up life in the, with the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, with Jesus directing our paths. Thank you, Professor Erisman, for proving <laughs> that we are probably capable of that especially capable if we use the power of God and connect with him. So I tell you that as encouragement because today, here's the passage we're gonna read. It comes from Matthew chapter six. And so if you wanna flip in your Bibles to this section, uh, whether that's on your phone or a physical Bible, that would be great. What we're gonna find is that in this section, Jesus talks crazy talk. He talks about the world literally the exact opposite way than we usually live our lives and invites us into an upside, well, a right side up, perspective in him. In fact, if you start reading this, you will see right off the bat, here's how he begins. He begins with a short warning in this section. He says, watch out. Literally like, have you ever been in a public place and you see someone on their phones and they're just walking and looking at their phone and they're going to crash into someone or they're like, there's a public fountain and they're going to trip and fall into the fountain. Um, instead of like pulling out your phone and filming them falling into the fountain, uh, which would be funny to watch later. Uh, what you should be doing is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, watch out. There, you are in imminent danger. There is a risk here that Jesus wants to grab our attention and help us avoid the negative thing that we could experience. So let's take a look at what is at risk here. What is he warning us to pay attention about? Here's what he says. 
Jesus says, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, because if you do, you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, hey, I don't want you to lose the reward. I don't want you to tumble into someone because you're not picking it. Pay attention, because there is a reward you could be receiving from the Father in heaven for the good that you do. He doesn't want us to miss out on something wonderful. Now, there's actually two interesting assumptions or uh, assumes that Jesus makes in this one sentence that I want to point out. I'm sure there's many more, but here are at least two that stuck out to me. First of all, he is assuming that we're doing good deeds. That is a very gracious thing to assume, isn't it? And actually, I hope this is a message of encouragement for some of you who are very religious, some of me who is very religious. Sometimes I and we get this perception that we are so sinful. We are, and, and it's true. We are so sinful, that we are so broken and lowly and troublesome that that God, who is perfect, must be looking down at us with deep disappointment, must be saying, oh, geez, what is Alex doing again? Uh, And we've been working on that. Listen, we have that perception, and some of that is good because, listen, we are deeply flawed. We are inherently sinful. We have uh, sin on our mind a lot of the times, but God knows that. He wants to forgive it, forgive us, and additionally, he knows that we also bear the mark of the creator God, each one of us. That goodness is a, a natural, inherent part of the human experience because it's a reflection of God's goodness, whether we know that or not. You are capable of great good. That's meant to be a positive, encouraging message. In fact, the, uh, maybe a more literal translation of the Greek, the original Greek here would be, when you practice your righteousness. The assumption here is you have a, an echo of God's righteousness in you. Now, through Jesus, he wants to bring that out to its fullest, but that means when you do good, here's a, something we should reflect on because we should The natural assumption is we are people who want to do good. I hope that's part of your experience. Yes, you mess up. Yes, we are needing the forgiveness of Jesus, but I really want to do what's right. I don't, but I want to do when I do good uh, to follow the right way. Um, Here's the second assumption. It's much more deep to talk about. He assumes that we understand that there is a reward we can get from our Father in heaven. (laughs) Did you know that? Do you believe this? That it's a very confusing Thing Because, by the way, he does nothing in this particular passage to explain what that reward is. He simply says, don't put it at risk. I want you to receive the reward that, that God has for you. Now, I know for sure what this reward is not. This reward is not, if you do good things on earth, the immediate outcome will always be positive, and you'll always be rewarded for that in a way that's very clear, right? I mean, you live your lives. You know that that's not the case. Sometimes the good we do is met by opposition. Sometimes the good we do is, is actually accidentally hurtful. I mean, we have all sorts of problems with those direct outcomes. So what is he talking? If it's not that, nor do we see people who do wrong immediately get punished for those things, do we? So it's not an instant reward like we usually think of. What what is he talking about? I think that the clue for us, our best clue, comes a few chapters, one chapter ahead. It's something that Jason uh, uh, talked about on the first week of this series in the the new year, where in the beginning of the the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins that section, maybe you remember it, several of the sentences there begin with, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, or God blesses those who are humble, God blesses those who are merciful. This term, God blesses, and the reward that he later talks about in chapter six are interconnected. 
Because what he's not saying is God blesses the poor by giving them hordes of money in the earthly life. No, he he doesn't say that. In fact, he makes it clear that the people that are, are blessed are the people who are most pursuing God, most connected to him, most trying to think the way that God would motivate them to think. There is a connectedness when it comes to God that the blessedness or the reward is even more Godness, God stuff, the things of God. So in your life, the reward we can receive from following God is more God, more perception, more awareness of his nearness and his true guidance and the peace he offers in difficult times and the the forgiveness, the palpable forgiveness that he can bring to settle us from the burden that we feel. The, the, The more and more we focus on God, the more he brings an awareness that he is with us. That's what we really need. I actually don't need money. I need more awareness that the God of the universe is gonna take care of me. This, this year, I want to be part of that person who is rewarded by God. I don't want to miss out. God doesn't want us to miss out on that feeling, that knowledge that he is with us more and more. Now, it's at this point where Jesus says, let me give you some examples of how you cannot miss out on God's real presence in your life that he has for you. And he begins like a, a rhythmic cadence almost. He repeats the same pattern three or four times in a row, and Jesus often does this as a rhetorical device because he wants us to really get something. He really wants us to understand a concept he's doing. So let me show you the next few sentences that that will begin the pattern, this repetition that Jesus is gonna do in his format of, of giving us examples. Here's the example he gives about a good thing. He says, when you give to someone in need. So again, he starts with the, a good action that we may wanna take. Then he tells us how not to do it. He says, when you give to someone a need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. So then he says, don't do it that way, do it this way. He says, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. Again, in this section, Jesus is going to use the same pattern of saying, here's an example of what you might experience. You have two options. I know you want to do good, Jesus says, but here's the way to do it. First of all, he says, don't be like who? Well, don't be like the hypocrites. That's our first option. We could be like the hypocrites. He uses this word over and over really to represent the people doing it wrong. Now, I hope you caught, even the people he's calling hypocrites are doing the act of charity. They are giving to the poor. So in some senses, I'm glad for the poor that we even have hypocrites giving to them. That's good. But Jesus is very concerned with the heart condition of people. He's saying, it's, I, I'm glad that you gave to the poor, but the truth is he, he cares more about the heart, the why, the how in our heart that we are giving or doing something in a good deed. And he said, listen, Those people give, but it's not even really for the poor. It's not really for someone in need. Who is it for? It's for themselves. They're giving to say, wow, what an incredible thing I've done. Look at me. I am so charitable. I'm so generous. Wow, finally I'm going to get my due for all the good that I do. And and Jesus is saying, hey, listen, such a clever way of Jesus putting it. He's like, if that's the kind of reward you want, fine. You can have that reward, but nothing else. And really, his tone really makes it clear he considers the public attention we can get for doing good as 
leading to a life that is vapid and useless. Now, in the prayer that we have for us as a church, for me and my life and my family, I can tell you the last thing I pray for my family is that we would have a life that is vapid and useless. Thank goodness then that Jesus says, hey, there's something different. Don't be like the hypocrites who do it for themselves and it's not even worth it. Instead, join a different crew. Be part of a different club. And here's what it is. The secret keepers. He says to us, there is a secret you should keep in your life just between you and God that will result in more and more and more connection with me, treasure beyond treasure that you've never experienced before. Be a person who does good, but does that good so that you can keep it secret between you and I, between you and God himself. That's a fascinating way of putting things. In fact, he, 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 I hope you saw, he exaggerates it to the point where he's not like, don't just give charitably and keep it secret from others. Remember, in the, in the verse, let's look back at what it said. Jesus says, when you give to someone in need, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's how secret we need to be. In fact, this word private, uh, it, it, I don't think is the best translation. The, the, the original word in Greek is this. Let's, is, it, it says crypto here. Uh, this is the anglicized version of it, which means secret. He's talking about the secret things of God, almost the unknowable to others things of God. Crypto, by the way, that's what, I mean, that became a root word. That's where we get cryptocurrency, which none of us understand. It's secret, only to the very wise and rich, I suppose. But I mean, that, that we, we get this word. We know that there is a crypto secret that God is asking us to keep between us and he. What a fascinating thing. What a way to live that we would keep our good private so we can share it as a treasure with him. Now, this brings us finally to our main idea for today. Uh, and here it is, let me put it in, in phrasing like this. In an all too public world, we should double down on our private relationship with God, our secret relationship with God. There is a value in that private connection that some of us are missing. And 2024 should be the year that we double down to say, Lord, is that something that's vibrant in my life? Not just how I live externally, but in my connection with you, is that a vibrant relationship? Now, let me give you the first of two whys today, two reasons why we should do this. We should double down on our private relationship because a private relationship with God nurtures intimacy. We need, Jesus, God is the most important relationship we could have in our lives, and he's inviting us to a level of really knowing each other, real intimacy. Some people are like, oh, God's invisible, he's far away, surely he looks down on me. It could not be the opposite. God wants to be present and real and intimately known in your life. It's an incredible thing. In fact, here's one more slide of weight I thought about it. This is the most tweetable thing I'm gonna put up on screen today if that's of value to you. The vitality of any relationship can often be judged by the level of its shared secrets. The, the things we keep just between us and one other person, sometimes that is the very measure of intimacy. I think we have a couple very in, uh, good examples in the way we live our life. Uh, some, of, some of us, this is a good reflection on, on a relationship we have with a counselor or therapist or coach in our lives, where we have been able to share with someone helpful the, the things we struggle with the most in a productive way to move forward. And that relationship, key to it, 
is that that person is not going to blab around to everybody else. They are going to hold that secret with you, and that's what makes the relationship so powerful. Um, a legendary story in my family happened a couple years ago. Uh, we were driving in the car, and a family of force. So we had our two boys in the back. My oldest was fifth grade at that time. His name is Martin. And we were driving, and do you have kids like this where you think you're having a private conversation up front, but they're listening to every single thing, and all of a sudden they're going to pick up on something? So my wife had just started, she was in the passenger seat, had just started with a new therapist that she was really connecting with. It was a fantastic relationship, therapy relationship. And she was telling me as I was driving, she was saying, it has been incredible. I have been able to share my deepest, darkest secrets with my therapist. It's just been amazing. And Martin from the back seat said, like what? <laughs> and it was this incredible moment of sort of learning for a fifth grade kid, first of all, that his mom had deep, dark secrets that she didn't want to tell him. But maybe more importantly, the beginning, well, not the beginning, but a continuing journey for us as a family to healthily teach our children that there are places, there are healthy places for that expression of your most inner self with people that can really be of benefit to helping you move forward, to become more Christ-like, to live a healthier life. That's what therapy is for. That's a wonderful outcome. Not with your fifth grader. Hey, let me tell my deepest, darkest secrets. Please, let's help you find a therapist instead if you're in that spot. Um, then maybe even more specifically, and I know that many of you have experienced this in your own lives, my marriage relationship with my wife is the most secret-keeping relationship I have with another human being. She knows so much about me that I would never tell you, you people, <laughs> and you should be happy about that. Um, and of course, that means we share secrets of our emotional state. We share secrets in uh, the way we act and our motivations. We share our secret sexual relationship which of course those things build intimacy. In fact, that's why in a sexual relationship, why when we break that covenant and we share that sexual connection with someone outside of that marriage covenant, why it's so damaging. Not because sex isn't enjoyable, but because sex is, an, is designed to be an intimacy builder between two human beings. And so I need to understand that I've created a treasure in my secrets in the good that we have for one another that would remain only between she and I. Now, in, in anything, I, I want us to chew on this and how we can relate to our own lives. So here are just two sample questions that you might have to chew on this week. What are the secret things that you share only with God? And how do those directly contribute to a strong connection with him? Some of us, by the way, are well-trained in sharing at least one element of secret connection with God, and that is sharing all of our sin with him. Praise the Lord for that. Some of us are really growing in our ability to admit to God, I, need, I mean, we're saying it today, I need you now. Lord, I need you now because I'm sinful, I'm broken, I, I need your forgiveness. That is a wonderful intimacy-building project for you to admit your sins to God so he might forgive you and show you his love and compassion. But that's not what Jesus is saying to share with God in secret in this passage, is it? He's saying, Share your good only in secret. When we do good, we create a treasure. And I understand it's such a sacrifice not to be like, look at my treasure. <laughs> I've finally done something good. Hooray. Let's all celebrate. Finally, I'm going to get the credit because dang, I work hard and I got this treasure. 
Everybody look at me, let's put it on social media so people can see my successes. The, the sacrifice it takes to say, you know what? I'm just gonna share this with Jesus. I'm gonna give this to my Father in heaven. What a sacrifice, what an intimacy builder. What a place that we, now again, we'll talk about this next week, you'll hear it, of storing up that treasure and putting it into heavenly storage for you to celebrate with the nearness of God for all of eternity. That's gonna come up in our passage for next week, Jason. I'm excited for Jason to preach on that. How do we do this? How do we, in, how do we build this intimacy with God? I wanna encourage you that it's, it's like that question for everybody. How would you build intimacy with your dearest friend or your spouse? You would spend more time with them. That's the basics of what I wanna say. I wanna encourage you this week to spend more time just with God, in private, just with him. Here's the action step, I put it kind of in a cheeky way. Schedule a date night in your most important relationship, your relationship with God. Take God out on a date night. Uh, my wife really responds well to like sitting at, uh, what's it called, Point Vicente, is that the right name, where you pretend to look at whales, but there are never whales there, and somebody made that up, and there's never been whale sightings. Uh, that's my opinion about Point Vicente, because I've never seen them. But she really responds to that sort of like being out in nature, and it's maybe a, 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 a hike in the, ho- in the Hollywood Hills. Go somewhere and be alone with God. Go to a local diner on a date with Jesus. And if they're like, table for one? You can say, no, for two. <laughs> but I mean, that's so stupid. But, but bring your Bible, bring, bring a notebook, bring some way to say, hey, I'm just gonna eat this sandwich and I'm gonna enjoy thinking about what God has for me. Ways that he wants to intersect with my life. Secret time with him. Now, I'm so happy that, again, remember Jesus said that thing about when you do this, don't be like a hypocrite. Instead, be a secret keeper. He repeats that for us over and over. Let me give you the next example uh, that he gives us, and this one has to do with prayer. He has two in a row about prayer. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. Again, I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they're ever gonna get. But when you pray, Go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. It's this beautiful picture of being alone. Some of you with tiny kids at home are like, wow, being alone. Let's be a church that comes around you and provides more space for you to have some alone time, to take a nap Hang out with Jesus. (laughs) Pray to him. Tell him what you need. We need to be doing this. When I was a little kid, I grew up in a really wonderful uh, home where my parents were were believers. And uh, my dad always had a home office where he had like books and he would have some work time there. And when we would have, we tried to have family breakfast, which now that I'm adult, I realize how so difficult that is to get your kids in a room for breakfast. But we, we managed it a couple times a week in our home. And I remember my mom saying, hey, I was a little kid, saying, Alex, go get your dad for breakfast. Breakfast is ready, go get your dad. And I would, because I was little, I would always forget to knock. So I would just barge in, hey dad, it's time for breakfast. And when I did that, I would always, almost always catch him on his knees on the ground, leaning against this old recliner he had with his Bible open. He was spending secret time Just with Jesus, it had become a pattern for him of being alone in a room with the door shut. Now, he wasn't doing that just because he heard me coming. Oh, crud, I better get down and make it look like I was praying. He he actually said, this is what I need. I need more of God in my morning. I'm not there yet. Oh, Oh, that my children would barge in on me and catch me praying. 
If that seems too spiritual for you, too holy, I'm with you, that seems like a lot. Praise the Lord then that he gives us another instruction about prayer that makes it simple, he simplifies it. Here's the beautiful thing he says next about prayer. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on. Don't babble on and on like the Gentiles. He uses Gentiles here instead of hypocrites for the same purpose. Gentiles, in, in his word usage right here, are people who are non-God-fearers or believe in the universe is gonna give them something. He's like, these people who don't even believe in a true God are, are praying. There's a hypocrisy here. And the way they do it isn't even for responding to a deity that makes any sense. They're, they're doing it for themselves. They're babbling on and on. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. God is, is inviting us into brevity in our prayers. He is inviting us to be efficient in our word choice. I hope some of you engineer types are like, oh, good, because I don't even know what to pray for. People are like, oh, did you pray today? No, I think I did. <laughs> hey, in, in fact, I would love to encourage you, the ver- we're not gonna read it now, but the verse is right after this. Jesus gives his disciples a sample prayer. It's like, if you don't know how to pray, pray like this. And, and he, the way he tells them to pray is the Lord's Prayer, a very famous, ver- uh, famous prayer that is very efficient. God, you are holy, you are beautiful, you deserve glory. Here's what I need in my life. Please keep me from temptation, amen. And God would love to spend that 45 seconds it would take for you to express that to him in, in secret just between you and he. He wants that relationship. In fact, that brings us to our second why. Why should we have a private relationship? Well, a private relationship with God nurtures cooperation. You are not alone in the writing of your story. In the story of your life, you are not the sole author. You are not responsible to do it on your own. God is invested in your life and wants to cooperate with you into the future. He wants to come alongside of you, to guide you, to help you become the person he created you to be. And prayer is the thing that unlocks that. The cooperative nature of saying, God, here's what I need. Actually, you already knew what I needed. Is God saying, yeah, I did. It was so nice to spend time together. Let's do this thing together to guide you into the next right step. Now, I realize that in these secret elements of just between you and God, one element that is missing if we make that sacrifice to build intimacy and cooperation just with God is we don't get the immediate feedback. You can imagine that if you do something good and you tell a lot of people about it, or a lot of people see you giving to charity, and they're like, wow, wow, you're a really charitable person. You're a really giving person. There's an immediate feedback loop where, where we as humans are like, wow, something's actually, this was meaningful because something came back to my senses really fast. We, we lose a little bit of that of God when we keep things secret just between us and God. I can tell you from a life of trying to pursue this pattern, when I do something good and I keep it secret, God isn't like, way to go, Alex. You're the man. He's, he usually brings me his presence and guidance subtly, quietly, in a way that would, would require that I lean in to hear him. Here's a suggestion then to help with that, uh, and that is to keep record of your secret prayers. Let me, let me put it this way. Journal the progress of your secret prayers. Uh, I have a friend who showed me her uh, Bible study journal. She, she writes during the week when she intersects with God, and it is years of full journals of thoughts she's been having, prayers that she had. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And she wasn't showing it to me like, check this out, I'm incredible. She, she only said, look at how it looks, and then we, we put it away because that's between her and God. 
but it was so motivating. Imagine, I want, not just imagine, I want to challenge you to write down, even in a simple list, a few times a week, here's what I'm praying for. And then when God responds, when he brings answer to those prayers, sometimes that will be yes, and sometimes that will be not yet, and sometimes it'll be I, I know that, you need to know that I'm with you as we walk through this challenging thing. Write that in. What you'll have, let's say four weeks from now, six weeks from now, is a record of transformation in your life because of what God is actively up to. You can look at it and say, I cannot believe God has been so active in my life. Let's do that together this week. Hey, the next part of Matthew, uh, he does this one more time. Remember, he, he says this thing, when you do good, don't be like the hypocrites, be like the secret keepers. He does that one more time. I'd love for you to read it on your own. I think we're equipped for it. Here's the topic that he'll be tackling is when you fast, when you give sacrificial time or energies to God, do it for the right reasons. I would love to challenge you to read this and that Lord's Prayer this week on your own. Uh, but, but let's close up today. We're gonna close up with a song. So let me review. Here's what we said today. In an all too public world, we should double down on our private relationship with God. Why? Well, a private relationship with God nurtures required, the thing we need the most, intimacy with God. And then secondly, a private relationship with God nurtures cooperation. Uh, at both of our campuses here and also at Torrance, you'll see a few musicians coming out that is gonna lead us in a song. As they do, l- let me show you just one more time how, again, I was gonna say upside down, how right side up Jesus' thinking is on this. I wanna show you the way that I usually live my life. Here's a hidden mantra in my life accidentally. I show my good side and I hide my sinful side. Is this what you do? So many of us, this is how we live our lives. Of course, I'm gonna show people my best and I'm going to hide my sinful side from them. God says, nope, (laughs) time to get right side up. Jesus in our passage today said this. He said, admit your sinful side and do your good in secret. He says that's what you need to hide to bring this beautiful treasure to God. It's an incredible difference. Have you ever watched one of those movies where they're trying to come up with a plan and somebody in the back says, well, what about this? And the leader says, that's so crazy, it might just work. When I read this passage, I was like, that's so crazy, it might be exactly what I need in my life to bring those secret moments to God who cares for me, that intimate connection he desires for us that we would intersect with him that way this week. Hey, would you, at both campuses, would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna sing this song. I wanna encourage you, as we do sing together one more time, practice this in this song. Practice an intimate connection. Think about the lyrics. Think about what you're expressing to God. He hears your heart uh, as we sing. All right, allow me to pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are here, that you have planted goodness in us Lord, through your Holy Spirit, will you help that flourish in our lives so we can bring you glory. Lord Jesus, even this week, help us to build a personal connection with you that would help us thrive this year. Help us really intersect and and, and hear from you and feel your presence this year. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us that much. We pray in your name, amen.